0: This morning, we're talking about what it means to be a family on the move. And for those of you who've been here over the last number of weeks, you'll know that over September, we've been talking all about who God has called us to be as a church. And we're going to be continuing that this week and and next week as we finish the series. And over the course of the next two weeks, we're really going to be focusing in today and next week over what it means to be a family on the move. And we want to be a family that has strong and healthy relationships with one another but we more than that we want to be a family on mission together and as church we don't want to stay inside the comfort and coziness of the building but we want to engage fully in the mission of God which is to make disciples of all nations to spread the goodness of God with people all around us so that many people get to encounter the love and grace of Jesus and that's why we've come up with this phrase family on the move You may be seeing it on some of the banners that we have around the place, but what we're really saying is we want to be a church that is inwardly strong, but outwardly focused. We're a family together. We want strong, healthy relationships with one another, but we are on mission together, and we go together as a family. And as I've said before, Rebecca and I spent some time early in 2016 praying and thinking about the kind of church That God has called us to be. And we wrote a lot of that down because we wanted to capture the heart of what God was saying to us. And this is what we wrote down back then about being a family on the move. We believe that as followers of Jesus we have been adopted into God's family. And we have received the full rights of sons and daughters. Jesus intended for his church to be a family centered on him. Good families are characterised by love and acceptance and we want this church to be a place that anybody can come as they are. As family we will serve each other and care for each other. We'll laugh lots and we'll have lots of fun. And as family we'll grow together in the knowledge of Jesus' love. As family we will go together carrying his transforming presence wherever he calls us. Now Um, Before I go any further, I do want to acknowledge that each one of us here will come from a variety of different family backgrounds. And for some of us, that might be really, really healthy. We might have had a really good experience and have mostly good memories. But then for others of us, family is just one of those words that we'd we'd rather not hear. It just conjures up bad memories and bad experiences. And, And if your experience of a family has been hard and difficult, whether that's been a church family or your natural family, then it's really important that you know that we have a saviour Jesus who can redeem our past hurts and he can heal our hearts again. And my experience personally is that if we allow the Father to heal us and restore us in the areas where we've been broken and hurt the most, then that's often where we carry the most authority to minister to other people instead of just being wounded, we actually become wounded healers. And my heart is that as we continue to journey together as a church, as a church family gathered around Jesus and centred on him, that we all have a new and a refreshing experience of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, who are the perfect family. For um, those of you who have heard or haven't heard me uh, talk about this before. Um, some of you will have heard this before. Um, but for those of you who haven't, this is a, a piece of 15th century art by a Russian artist called Andrei Rublev. Um, and I've, as you might have guessed, the painting depicts the Trinity. It shows the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit eating and drinking together. Now, it's a pretty famous and well-known painting, but to be fair, in, in, in my mind, Um, The picture that I have, there's a lot more fun and enjoyment, I'm sure. Even with my limited art skills, it is a classic, to be fair. But even with with my limited art skills, I could come up with something that looks a bit more fun. I reckon they're having just a bit more fun than that. It would be fun if I drew it, that to be fair. Um, But one thing about this picture that I want to point out, um, that I think really is good, is that there's a little rectangular hole at the front of the table. I don't know if you can see it, that's just it, circled there. Um, hopefully you can see that. Now, if you're looking at this painting, and it's, it's easy to miss this, but some what's really interesting about this is some art historians believe that the remaining glue on the original painting indicates that this is likely where there was once a mirror, a little mirror that was glued to the front of the table. So what happened is you looked in the mirror and you saw your own reflection. There was room at the table for a fourth. There was room at the table for you so when we we talk about family the longing of our hearts is actually towards god's family and to be part of that perfect trinitarian relationship that is shared between the father the son and the holy spirit and as a church that's what jesus invites us to be part of a family centered on him so this morning what I want to do is I want to focus on three aspects of the family I believe God has called us to be here in, in, in Bangor Vineyard. And the first is that we're going to be, we'll be a family characterized by love and grace. Yeah, sorry, my clicker's just gone. There we go. We want to be a family characterized by love and grace. And if you were here last week, then you would have heard me quote Alan Scott, who said, the culture of a city never rises above the culture in the hearts of the people. And we were asking the question, what culture do you have within your heart? Have you decided to partner with bitterness and anger, or are you practicing forgiveness when someone hurts or offends you? And it's such an important question for all of us because we won't be able to step into the fullness of all that God has for us until we truly learn to love one another, to forgive one another, and to honour one another. If you've ever had friends or family, which I think I can safely assume most of us have at some point, then you'll have had times when you've been hurt or offended. All of us will. You can't go through life without being hurt or offended. And, and I can point to several occasions when I've had exchanges, particularly with members of, of my own family, when it feels like all my buttons are being pushed. And, and so often... It's the people that that know us the best that can push our buttons the most. The people who knew what we were like when we were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old who can just get inside our head and push our buttons. That's my experience anyway. And I, I don't know about you, but, but each time this happens to me, I'm faced with a temptation just to kind of put a guard up. Or if I'm really annoyed, I'll kind of start thinking of, why can I create some distance in the relationship, like so I don't have to see them again, or at least if I do have to see them, it's maybe like three or four times a year. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just the only one. Has anybody else felt like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're nodding. Um But what I've I've learnt over the years is that that's a horrible way to live. Those things start out as, as tempting lies that the enemy whispers into our ears. But if we choose to partner with those lies, what happens is we start to carry around a weight that we were never supposed to carry. God never intended us to be judges. that's his job. We aren't capable of, of carrying burdens only God himself can carry. So if, if we choose to partner with bitterness and unforgiveness... What happens is we end up burying ourselves under a completely unsustainable weight. As, as we do life together in this church family, and in this community, I, I can guarantee that there is going to be times when people are going to disagree. There will be times when we might feel hurt or offended. Hopefully not too many, but we're all broken in one way or another. So that means our relationships are never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But we can choose whether we let those things turn into strongholds, or whether to trust God with our cuts and our bruises. We can choose whether we want to define other people by the mistakes that they've made, or we can choose to nurture a culture of honor instead. A culture that calls out the greatness in others Even when we've seen and experienced their worst. A culture that can look beyond the scars and brokenness in people's lives and choose to see what God says. And a culture that can tell the truth but do it in a way that honors. And notice what I didn't say is I didn't say ignore the scars and brokenness in people's lives, I said look beyond. If we're going to have healthy relationships, then we need to be able to tell the truth as well. And so if if there's an issue in your life that's spilling out and creating mess all around you, then chances are that's going to spill out and burn other people. And as we journey together, it's important that we can call each other on. That's what families do. So we've got to learn to be able to have those honest conversations with one another, but we've got to do it in a way that reaches down impose the other person up again. We've gotta to learn to do it in a way that is restorative and to see others the way the father sees them. And in our culture here in, in Northern Ireland um truthfully I've met very few people who can have honest conversations with people in a loving and restorative way. Many people just either lean in way too hard and and we do it in an aggressive way, in an unloving way. But more people just tend to say nothing. Or worse, we say it behind their backs to other people and we don't even have the courage to say it to them. And that's not a culture of honour. In our um, annual annual review at at work, um, you maybe have something similar in your workplace, like a Annual performance review where you go in and you, you, you meet your manager, and he or she tells you how good or bad a job you've done, and if you're going to get a bonus, if you get one of those, or um, if you're going to get the sack. Who knows? Um, but we have this box in ours where you can give upward feedback. And it's really interesting because you can have the worst manager ever. Like, everybody knows it. They're awful. Everybody's talking about it, but not one person has the courage to actually write down some constructive feedback. Not one person is prepared to tell the truth. And that's not a healthy culture. And I can guarantee there are workplaces up and down this country that that have a culture just like what I've described. And I I remember, personally, about six or seven years ago, I had a boss who... um, Truthfully, in my opinion, he just wasn't very good with people. He shouldn't be in an of management, in my opinion. Um, And I personally really struggled with him, as did many of the people um, around me. And uh, it was a culture just like what I described, and it was pretty toxic. Everybody complained. It was full of bitterness. It was full of anger. Everybody talked about how bad a manager he was, but nobody was prepared to have an honest conversation with him. One day, I just got really ticked off, so um, I asked for a meeting with HR, and and my my kind of objective was, I want to get a move. I I just want to leave and go and work in another department and another part of the business, and hopefully I'll get a new manager that's that's better than this. Um, And and So I had a meeting, and the HR officer sat me down, and and, uh, she listened to what I said, and... Um, and then she says, yeah, I'm sure we can move you. I'm sure we can find somewhere, somewhere else for you to work within this organization. But have you tried talking to him? Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Back, off, back off. Back off. you serious? It's easy to sit here and talk to you about how bad a manager he is. But you actually expect me to go to him and have an honest conversation? Come on. So I've been on a real journey learning how to develop healthy relationships. I know what it's like to be part of a culture that is toxic and it's not a culture of honor. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to raise the standard. We're called to show the world around us how to do. Healthy relationships where there's honour and where there's love and where there's honesty. So this morning, um, I'm preaching just as much to myself as I am to you. Um, and I, as I as I wrote this and as I prepared this, um, that 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 situation that I described that was six or seven years ago, but um, it's still it's still always a challenge to try and maintain posture of honour in in the workplace and to set a standard for those around me. So in this church, can we be really intentional about this? Can we learn together to be a church that models out how to do relationships in a healthy way? Because I honestly believe that if we truly learn to honour one another together, then we can rewrite the story of our community here in Bangor and North Down. How much does our nation need to learn how to honour one another? Paul said it like this, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. And the Psalms tell us that there's a blessing when God's people live together in unity. And as sons and daughters of the King, we are called to partner with Jesus in the reconciliation of all things. We're called to lead the way in demonstrating grace and honour. Everybody knows that the political outlook in Northern Ireland, it's not, it's not at its best. It's not wonderful at the minute, but we have had some beautiful moments in the recent past when lifelong political enemies shake hands for the first time and begin the work of building a friendship. And I do believe that we do need a move of God to heal us as a nation. But I also believe that God is waiting for people to move as well. We need need our political leaders to learn to honour even when they don't agree. Before that, I think God's people need to learn to honour one another even when they don't agree. Something special really happens when we learn to do this, and as as the people of god we 're called to lead the way in this, so uh, as a church, my prayer is that this is something that we just do really well, and I think we do do it really well um, but um I, I just think that there's 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 growth in this for all of us there's growth in this for me, and there's growth in this for for all of us together and and my prayer is that we learn to do this in the hard times and the good we learn to do this with those who are like us and those who are unlike us with the stranger and the friend, with those who we agree with and those who we disagree with. So let's ask ourselves the question today, what is the culture in my heart? What sort of things have you let take root? Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. In other translations it says, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. I like this one. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Be careful that you manage your heart well. What you let take root in your heart will spill over, whether good or bad. And it will affect your own life and the lives of those that you touch. And maybe this morning the Holy Spirit might be convicting you. And, and, and maybe maybe this morning, uh, I, do, I do think there's a grace in the room for this this morning. um, For those of us who just need to let go of an offense. Who just need to come and receive the grace of the Father. And uh, just as we were praying before the service this morning, um, I had a picture um, the primary school I went to. Uh, in Belfast, there, the playground, there was like uh, gutters up against the building, like sort of concrete-type gutters at the edge of the playground. And um, I remember in P we used to play marbles in the gutters, and uh, unbeknown to us, they were gutters. And probably not the best place to play marbles, but it was really kind of handy, because the you know, marbles kind of stayed in the gutters. and um, But it just brought back this joyful memory. Uh, as I had that picture this morning, like I just have a sense of joy. Um, and what I what I kind of sense like God is saying this morning is, uh, in the broken, dirty places like the gutters, some of us might find ourselves there. Some of us might find ourselves there this morning, that our lives are just broken, that we're just hurt. But He wants to restore joy, and He is a God that can turn the broken places of our lives. Back in to glory again. And I believe that's what he wants to do this morning. So, um, I, there's going to be a chance later to respond to that, if, if that's something that resonates with you. And um, The second thing I want to say about family is that we want to be a people that invite those on in the outside in. There's this uh, amazing, incredible uh, story in Second in Samuel verse 9 where King David reached out and showed incredible kindness and hospitality to a guy called Mephibosheth, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it's all right for you because you don't have to say it. Um, I do. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of Israel's first king, King Saul. He was he was only five years old when his dad, Jonathan, was killed in battle with the Philistines. And his, his grandfather, Saul, took his own life. And so back then, um, it was customary that when a ruler was defeated that his his family would be killed as well. So basically that there's nobody left that can kind of come and, and lay claim to, to the throne. Um, however, Matthew Boshef was, was taken by a nurse um, and she picked him up when she heard about Saul's death and she ran as fast as she could, but um, unfortunately she dropped him uh, and he fell and, and he broke both his legs and he he became crippled and he was never able to walk again. I guess in those days they weren't able to kind of set bones back the way that we do now. Um, But he became crippled and he couldn't walk. Um, And so that became, uh, that was his life. That, That defined him from that point on. And several years later, King David, who we know was a king after God's own heart, was inquiring after Saul's family. We're going to pick this story up in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you, Ziba, at your service, you you find? The king asked, is there, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked? Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So king David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. So probably somebody had to carry him. When Boshef, son of, of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Boshef, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. Like one of his sons. He restored him to a place of honor again. And what's really obvious in this story. Is just the incredible kindness. The incredible kindness. The incredible grace. That was shown. And this is really. A window into the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes. The lonely are placed in families. The rejected which Mephibosheth surely was, are welcomed to the table. The outcasts are welcomed into places of honour. And and what strikes me about the story of of Mephibosheth was his response to David's kindness. What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? That's not the nicest thing you could say about yourself. But that was clearly the lens through which he saw his life. He'd become defined by his his disability and had lived life with a rejection narrative of I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy. And you know, as, as more people begin to experience the church as family, um, I think that we're gonna encounter some people who instantly feel at home and um, like this is what their heart has been longing for. But I also think that we will encounter some people who have a response just like Matthew Boshe. Uh, and one of the barriers that, that tends to keep people who don't know Jesus away from the church. Is, is this type of rejection narrative. It's not the, the only barrier but it certainly is a common one. A narrative of I'm not good enough. Or I'm not important enough. Or who am I? And sometimes it's just blended with a kind of religious narrative of. I would need to clean myself up or I would need to get my house in order before I can come into God's house. And I've just noticed that time and time again that people are longing for family. They're longing for community. They're longing for a place where they can be loved and accepted. But often it's just really difficult to get past this barrier. But as God's people, we've been called to reach past barriers. To love unconditionally and to extend the welcome of Jesus. And as the church, we're always trying to get people to come to us. But actually, we're supposed to go to them. And so in in Bangor Vineyard, we want to be a family on the move. A family that leaves the building. A family that brings light into our community. And reaches past barriers. We're, we're at danger in society, I think, of, of losing the art of friendship. And I believe that we're called to make friends with those around us. Typically, as, as churches, it's not something that we're terribly good at. Um, we're good at prayer meetings, Bible studies and meetings. Maybe we're not so good at prayer meetings. And uh, Bible studies and meetings and events and structure and all those wonderful things. And we can get so busy. Such a busy church schedule. And those are, those are good things. They're not bad at all. But we don't want to spend so much time and energy going to church that we forget to actually be the church. The church is supposed to be a family on the move. We don't want to lose sight of our neighbours and our colleagues and our families. We're supposed to bring the family that we have in here out into the world around us. A family that welcomes. A family that opens up the door, and over the last number of years, Rebecca and I have spent lots of time just investing in friendships outside of our church family. And it's—I'm uh, sure you've heard us talk about it before. It's been—it's been a lot of fun, and um, and uh, one of the things that that I've done over the last three or four years is um, is hang out with people and and. Um, watch watch a football match down, down in the pub down the road from me, um, and uh, it's only recently that I kind of realised that I've probably built up a little bit of a reputation for this, and I don't do it that much to be fair. But um, somebody from our church who's not here this morning, um, he told my saw him a couple of weeks ago, and he told me he walked past the burn Inn and he stopped and he gave a little wave just in case I was inside. <laughs> Truthfully, <laughs> truth be told, this morning I'm not there that much. Okay. Um, although I was there this week, weren't we, Paul? No, that was a good result for Liverpool. <laughs> Every week now, I seem to talk about football. <laughs> um, to be truthful, I'm much too busy praying and fasting for all of you. Um, so if you if you get asked by if you get asked by all the church leaders, what are those guys like down in the vineyard? Don't say what Simon Harper said. Oops, I just said it there. Don't say what Simon said. Right? We got it, Dave. Um, so anyway, um, most most of the people we've had the pleasure of enjoying friendship with don't know Jesus, and of course, as someone who's deeply in love with Jesus and has been transformed by His His love and grace, I'm desperate for my friends to encounter Him. But but that's not what makes me want to spend time with them. I want to spend time with them because I genuinely love them. I'm a, I'm interested in who God has made them to be. And as I've invested time and built up friendships, I've got to share a little bit of my story as well. And there's been moments where I've got to talk about how much Jesus means to me. And it's not been planned. It's not like I've gone in with an agenda to to share the gospel. But there's been moments where there's been a door opened and I've got to share the good news of Jesus and I've got to pray for someone. And we've had some profound moments. And many of those people are still on a journey. Um, But we we don't need to treat people like projects. It's not our job to kind of get somebody over the line. And that's not really what we've been asked to do. We've just actually been called to love our neighbour. To love our friends. And there's such a great power that flows when, when we relax. And we be ourselves and we stop taking ourselves too seriously. So maybe this is something that God might be challenging you to step into. You could start thinking about how you can welcome others to your table. And some of these are wonderful at this. How can you reach past barriers and extend the hand of friendship? Or maybe there are people that are already in your life, and the question is how can I help release them into their destiny? A really helpful question that you just might want to ask God is, Father, give me your heart for them. All the time Christians want to fix people. (laughs) They want to kind of put people's lives back together and treat them like projects. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to release people into the fullness of all that God has for them. And to be able to do that, we need to ask the Father for his heart. Not what we think would be good, but what the Father's heart is. And for us, all we've done actually is is invite people, really simply, is invite people to join us doing the things that we love doing. And for me, that's normally sports or activity-based, or hanging out with other families and, and their kids. So... Um, a wee tip is just find what you enjoy doing and invite others into that all of us are different so feel free to be yourself as well okay I'm going to wrap this up very soon Um, but the third thing I want to say is that we want to be known for being a house of fun you know this, this call that we have, this vision that we have here in Bangor Vineyard to be a church who passionately follow Jesus and lead our community into relationship with him this vision to raise up an army of sons and daughters, and release them into their divine destiny. This is a declaration of war, and we're waging war on the evil all around us, seeking kingdom breakthrough. And I'm telling you now that that is going to be intense at times. We are engaged in a battle, but it doesn't mean that we need to take ourselves too seriously and talk about spiritual warfare all the time. That's not what we're going to do. Um, so in this church instead we're, we're unapologetic about having fun. It's our birthday next week. Um it's it's cropped up. That's our church birthday by the way, that is all of us, not just my birthday. Um We're we're one year old. One one year old next week and um, it's kinda cropped up a little bit, so we need to get our thinking caps on. Um, we'll likely get a big cake and we'll have some cakes as well as donuts at the end. Um, and we'll, we'll do, do a few other things just to celebrate a little bit. Um, but we are, we are going to invest in creating environments where we can celebrate, where we can simply relax and enjoy each other's company, where we can let our hair down and be ourselves. And uh, it might sound unholy, but it's the, it's the opposite, in fact. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And we want to be known for being a house of joy that people will actually come and, and check us out because they've heard that we're a joyful bunch. That we're okay with mess. That we don't take ourselves too seriously. But you don't have to have your life all together to come along to the doing that. Okay. Um, I'm probably about two minutes away Louise if you wanna if you wanna come on back up. Um I you think I will <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say we'd have that much but I'm alright <laughs> When Rebecca and I got married 11 and a half years ago, we asked a friend to sing a song at, at our wedding. Um, he's a guy called Keith Lockhart, who is a, an incredible, pathetic guy. Um, really excited. He's been like a spiritual father to me. Um, really excited that he's coming along next month on the 21st of October, and he's going to be he's going to be speaking to us. So um, Keith and Jane are both coming together. So we're re- really excited to have these guys come to join us, but. And um, we kind of left the song choice completely up to him. And it turned out that he actually wrote a song for the day. It was a song of anticipation and invitation to come to the wedding of life that Revelation 19 talks about. The joining together of Jesus and his bride, the church. Come all you people, for the time has now come. I think there's another slide up there. Come all you people. The time has now come to laugh and to dance and to sing, to celebrate love and to celebrate life and to celebrate all He has done. So would you come? Would you come to the wedding of life? There's a place that's been set there for you. You know, if this is if this is all new to you and you don't know Jesus, you're invited. Would you come? And we'd love to we'd love to pray with you at the end and introduce you to Jesus. If you're feeling like your life's just a bit of a mess and you're feeling hurt and you're broken and like you're in the gutters, would you come? There's a place that's been set there for you and for all of us. Let's be a family characterized by love and grace. Let's be a family who invite those on the outside in. And let's be a family known for joy and fun. One of the things that we often say in, in vineyards all over the world is come as you are but don't stay as you are. Come as you are but don't stay as you are. And, and my prayer for all of us is that as we journey together we will encounter Jesus and we will be transformed into his likeness and that we will release the culture of heaven into our community so I'd love to just invite you just to stand I think there's some more to receive for all of us today and we're just going to start just by by worshipping so Father just as we as we worship together this morning would you come and move amongst us restore us and make us into family with you at the center in Jesus name.